Can you hear the drums, Fernando? I remember long ago the championship 2006. Are you satisfied, Fernando? You were racing with the best, but slowly fell so very far. Now you hear the sounds of engines and the cash that comes with racing IndyCar. <laughs> we will miss you in F1 tonight. The off-track fights, Fernando. Fernando. All together now. I don't want him on my team with me, says Stoffel V. <laughs> Fernando. <laughs> Though we never thought that you would lose, there's no regret. If I had to watch the sport again, I would, my friend, Fernando. Bravo. And scene. Bravo, Drew Scanlon. Beautiful voice. <laughs> Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me are Danny O'Dwyer. Hello, Danny. How are you? He'll be back. He'll like I. He'll be back. <laughs> right, right, uh, Rob. Rob Zagney. Look, I just think off season we turn this into a musical dramatization of Formula One history. <laughs> Wait, that uh, already I mean, came out. It's called Rush. It's a. It's a. There's a musical track version of that movie. I believe you can watch. It feels like a, like a director's like commentary. <laughs> Director singing Jerry. <laughs> yes, we are. We are done with 2018, everyone. Uh, but we we ended. We capped it all off with a pretty good race, actually. Yeah, it was all right. Started, you think so? It, it was. I mean, it was. It was all right. It was. I think you come into this one with the expectations of, hey, it's like a bonus race, right? Like everything's kind of sorted out. It's let's true. Ju- let's. It's it's like a. It's like the prom or something. It's like every, the story of high school has ended, and it's just like one last hurrah for a bunch of these drivers we're not going to see again. And it's like, yeah. And then, you know, there's a weird incident at the start which makes it memorable. But otherwise, Seth it was Lewis like and fun. Fernando sign each other's yearbooks. Be like, <laughs> we should do, we should, we should Dude, have hung out literally, more. Did you see them swap helmets? No. Oh, they did like a whole video on their, on like the F1 Twitter thing where they swap, they like literally sign helmets and swap them and stuff. So, like, yes. <laughs> true to, true <laughs> Pretty much life. is that. <laughs> Uh, I guess we'll just blow through qualifying pretty quickly here. Um, uh, Q1 was cool that Alonso got through it to, to Q2 for his last qualifying session. He also like dipped his head like a sprinter at the end of Q1, which is kind of cool. Amazing. They have a, they have a, um, for this race, I think was the first time they've used it, uh, a camera looking back at Fernando Alonso. So you could see oh, cool. his helmet, his face. They've done um, it here before because it's a night race, right? So it's one of the only times you can see their eyes through the visors, or was it Malaysia? The one of them they've done that before. Oh, really? Yeah, because uh, I remember because it's pointless in the outdoor races because it's just too much like reflection. But it works on the night ones at least. Hmm. I don't remember seeing his eyes. I wonder hmm. if uh, that was just because it was in the beginning and there was um, sun up still. But right, uh, yeah, it was a cool angle. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't tell you. Uh, where they're going, but it's kind of cool to see them bouncing around inside the cockpit. Uh, Q2 is interesting because most folks wanted to start the race on the ultra soft tire when we actually had uh, a softer one, the hyper soft. Mm. So um, everyone tried to get through to Q3 uh, on that medium softness tire, uh, although the Red Bulls were looking a little shaky. So they switched for Verstappen for to the hyper soft to get him through. 
uh, and then th- did the same for Ricardo, but aborted the lap when they saw that he would go through safely. So yeah. Verstappen and Ricardo were start on different tires. Was it this um, race as well that Kimi did the he was he was aborting his lap and then pulled back out again? Did you see that he was like coming into the pits and then just went actually no fuck it and went back out, but he he crossed over the the like oh the line oh yeah right. the area yes. yeah so they investigated him but I'm not sure if anything came of it. Okay, yeah, I don't remember seeing anything any fallout from that. Um, some good efforts from uh, Red Bulls in Q3, but it all shakes out a bit like you'd expect. Lewis Hamilton on pole, Valtteri Bottas in second. Uh, I think this is the one that Ferrari had never gotten pole or a victory. A victory, at. yeah. Vettel's won it before, but not but with Red Bull. With not. Red Bull, yeah. Uh, but he is Sebastian Vettel starting third, uh, followed by Kimi Raikkonen, Daniel Ricciardo, and Max Verstappen. A nice, uh, a nice uh, black T bar, yellow T bar, Mercedes, Ferrari, <laughs> Red Bull, uh, and then we got uh, Roman Grosjean in seventh. Nice, Charles Leclerc in eighth. Uh, Esteban Ocon in ninth and Hulkenberg rounding out the top 10. Behind them, we've got Sainz, Ericsson, Magnussen, Perez, Alonso uh, in 15th, followed by Hartley, Gasly, Van Dorn, Sorotkin, and Stroll. Uh, a lot of people racing their, uh, their last race in F1, for the time being at least, uh, and a lot of people racing their last race with the current team. I think we said half the grid is uh, is either leaving F1 or changing teams. Crazy. Sea change. Indeed. Uh, do you want to take us through the start, Danny? Sure. Um, I kind of all things fine th- for the first couple of corners. You know, the, it, we have you know three teams kind of in a row, and they kind of kept their way through there. Um, there was a bit of jumbling around the back on that first turn, caught a couple of people out. Um, it's pretty wide on the entrance, but it like tightens up real quick. And then you kind of want to be on the outside leading into or coming out of turn three. So it's an interesting uh, j- sort of jockeying for position situation there where a bunch of drivers who are trying to be in the right spot uh, leaving that corner end up going around the outside but they're sort of at the you know the will of everyone going down the inside to see if you know if they get pushed out basically one by one by one as everyone sort of misses the apex and so the ones that kind of lost out in that regard were Fernando Alonso and Roman Grosjean who both sort of ended up getting squeezed out a little bit out into that runoff area um, and then sort of you know having that that dirty dusty Abu Dhabi uh, you know runoff you get yeah totally and you you know same problem you have in Bahrain basically and you know going up that hill into the it's probably the only like hilly part of the whole track you kind of lose a bit of speed and then that's like three or four turns so they lost a couple of places um uh in that little arena section going up to the hairpin and then on the straight it was uh charlotte claire and ricciardo having a nice little battle um oh that was cool down there and 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 then it all then my uh my zero virtual safety car prediction (laughs) went out the fucking window halfway through the first lap yeah, um, uh, I also just wanted to point out that uh, Verstappen had a really strange start. Mm, I, I did, I sorry, yes. I don't remember anyone uh, explaining why that happened, but like he got totally bogged down. His uh, his Kerr's light, his, the light in the back of his car kept going off, uh, meaning that his, <laughs> his uh, systems were recharging energy, mm. which only really happens in braking zones typically, but... Um, uh, yeah, it was that was weird. He got he got swamped, but uh, quickly made things back. Hmm. Yeah, he um, explained something about it after the race. I think it was one of the yeah. steering wheel settings. Like, it, 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 I think it was one of the many uh, like electronic control faults we saw over the course of this race. Uh, right. As 
everything like everything for this race was clearly at the end of its duty cycle and it was just like well we hope we can finish yeah because these cars uh, so, are basically done right like they're, they're not bringing any of this shit over into next year uh i don't know how much i don't know how much carryover uh compo- well i mean none of the components that are on these cars are carrying right, the over. power units and stuff right yeah. in in terms of uh what is going to be able to be carried over into next year under the technical regs uh mm. i don't know i don't think next year next year isn't the big uh changeover right uh, no, it's twenty twenty, twenty twenty one. I think I read somewhere that they might also be pushing back on the the major engine change uh, hmm. that, that's coming up. That might be uh, punted by a year. Uh, that's uh, something that's up in the air. But uh, yeah, so I think Verstappen said like the car. It, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad launch. It was a bad trans, uh, transit into uh, you know low ge- low gears. Uh, right. low rep. So it's it's a weird thing. Usually you're used to seeing people get swamped on the start. Uh, either they just screw it up or the car gets stuck. Anti-stall. Um, hmm. Yeah, but that doesn't appear to be the case here. It just didn't uh, flip over into uh, you know standard mode uh, normally. But yeah, and then um, and then we had the big incident, which was... Speaking of flipping over. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was a, it, it was one of those like really dramatic looking accidents yeah. that looks really scary, but like it, if you watch a fair bit of racing, you're, you know, you kind of know that's probably fine. Uh, a car flipping over is one of the things that they've been basically anticipating as a safety challenge since they started driving these things. Uh, but nevertheless, it was incredibly dramatic and sudden, uh, when, uh, Hulkenberg and Groshan were sort of dueling, heading into uh, you know one of the one of the giant chicanes uh, mm. this this course has, and uh, Hulkenberg just tried to you know he was, he was trying to fight for that uh, outside line and just it looked to me like he just drove over with his back wheel, he drove over the front wheel mm. of Grosjean's car. And that unsettled the car enough that it just completely went over on edge and then on its on its head and uh, skidded into the wall. Uh, if you watched the replay, um, it looked to me like it, it had to have been him putting power through the rear tires. Because the minute he broke traction, you saw the tachometer lights on his steering wheel uh, go completely to the red, uh, nice. which says, like... He's over revving at that point, but he was applying power through that wheel. So I think that right. was like he just basically crawled over uh, that front wheel and catapulted himself. That's amazing. Um, if if he like yeah, the wheel replaced the tarmac basically and and knocked him. That turn as well, it's uphill and it, it's it, there's a the camber is leaning out of the apex. So if you were to flip a car, it would have also gone that way kind of th- kind of mm. it was all leading but like uh, Grosjean was you know he's gotten into some incidents before he was totally faultless for this like there was, yeah. it was he could go nowhere if you watch it from his angle like he's already like he's really trying to squeeze into the tiny bit of space that Nico had left him anyway um so he, yeah I think he's uh I think he's, he's he's fine it was nice to hear him come over the radio and ask if he was all right when the moment happened my I like gasped like I think because they were kind of focusing on on Ricciardo and on Leclerc on that camera shot, and it was almost as if they were just going to feed a couple of more cars through before they went back to 
the the that second DRS straight. And then it just happened out of nowhere, and it, like it was very dramatic because the car almost like you know it's it's like a like a left framed shot, and the car like leaps out of frame almost. And as it was doing so, it 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 jumped, and it's not like like sometimes cars flip and they flip twice before they hit the ground. They flip halfway and then they, they hit the ground. They turn. He flipped like a fucking pancake, like the top yeah. of the car left frame with his head dangling down, and I was like. Ooh, like right away, and then when the fire broke out, you're kind of just that's thinking, where it started to get a little yeah. bit because ner- the other thing is he, he ends up upside down, sort of dangling off the wall in the tire barrier, and then there's smoke pouring off the back of his car. And you heard the radio message later when he realized there's a fire on the back, and he starts to right. really panic. Uh, and so F- the FIA said this wasn't an issue, but it sure looked like it may have been an issue, um, which is. We talked about this a little bit. The halo seems to impede quick extraction from from the car, mm. um, which is a totally sensible trade off to make at this point. Fire isn't your main fear in F one; hasn't been for for ages. Right. Nevertheless, like it did seem like they were not they were unable to extract him uh, with the car, or they just chose not to uh, with the car upside down. Uh, but with that fire yeah, going, I- you you had that moment where you're wondering like. If he needs to get out of that thing pronto, can he? Right. Uh, I have a quote here from uh, Charlie Whiting, race director uh, from racefans.net. Asked whether the halo delayed Hulkenberg's extraction from the car, Whiting said, quote, not at all. The routine under those circumstances is to put the car back on its wheels. Once the car was back on its wheels, which has to be done carefully, of course, he was able to get out by himself. Quite clearly, it's one of the sort of accidents that the halo was designed to help with because it provides more space for the driver once the car is upside down. Uh, some of the tests we did during the prove-out phase of the halo involved putting the car on its top with a halo and making sure the driver could actually get out of the car. That was one of the things we wanted to make sure was still possible. The, um, I think the but process, it did take a long time sorry. for them to flip that car over. And yeah, what, what if the car was on fire? Could they flip I, the car over? I think the process in that instance, at least is what I believe I heard Brundle say, was that they before they actually turn the car over, the doctor checks to make sure that there's no spinal problems yeah. on the drivers. They just so the, you can see the doctor come over like slightly after. I guess was it in the the, the following car probably, um, yeah. uh, right before because obviously like these cars don't have like fucking shocks on them for, like for for that type of thing so flipping a car over is gonna you know jostle people so they want to make sure they're not like creating any more spinal problems i guess um but yeah it was interesting to hear to see like the first thing they did was try and put the fuel out or put the fire out and you hope that that's the type of thing that if you know in any case that's what they're able to do the sort of like horror scenario you imagine is if somebody flips it you know at spa or something and goes out into a fucking forest and then people can't access them while they're on fire and they can't get out but you know at a certain point you know you can't like account for everything i guess but the halo didn't seem like it actually really mattered in regards to this in particular no well and, and whiting does have a point because it extends it starts over their head and extends forward it does provide like uh if 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 the car is upside down it is resting on the front of the halo so uh mm. instead of you know going from the nose of the car to the to the roll hoop right behind their head so it does it does provide yeah. more space for the driver but right um yeah i just if if the car was on fire what you know 
is it is it still the uh, the 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 thing to do to flip the car over? Because mm. can you do that when it's on fire? I don't know. What do you do at that point? Right. If he needed to do that, like old fashioned, like World War II pilot bailout maneuver, where you just like unhit, yeah. unharness, and just let yeah. gravity take you out. Uh, you know, Did- could you? I'm not sure. <laughs> Brundle yeah. was talking about how that was one of the, the worst parts about being in... I believe he's probably talking about his crash in Australia, I'm guessing, or something. Uh, he's probably been upside down a couple of times, but was was when you release that you land on assembly of the car, usually. So you, you can hurt yourself a second time by yeah. by dang, by falling out of the car that way. But thankfully, he was all right and walked to the um, medical pavilion, I believe. Yes, and we got a safety car. Ta-da! Uh, which, again, I think is the first time that's happened no, here well, in Well, it's happened three times before, but it's oh, okay. only ever in, in nine years. But the most has ever been in one race is two. Um, okay. And, yeah. Uh, and at the restart, we get some great battle with uh, Verstappen and Ocon. Mm. Uh, yeah. Verstappen diving down the inside of a hairpin, and it looks like he bumps wheels with Ocon. Yeah, uh, 100%. But- like, <laughs> did not need to as well, I don't think. It's proven a point. Um, but yeah, he, he does get by that and escapes penalty. If, if Vettel had done that, his fucking, all four of his wheels would have fallen off, knowing his luck this year. <laughs> yeah. He would have spun around <laughs> four or five times. Uh, lap seven, uh, Raikkonen retires with no power, mm. uh, has to pull over on the start-finish straight, which brings out the virtual safety car. Uh, huge bummer for Kimi. Last race with Ferrari. But, you know, he got to win this season, so I'm happy at least. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's, un- finished, he's finished super strong. But, again, it was that, like, they're coming in on just their last, you know, their last gasp. Uh, and it was also just interesting to see the, um, I don't know, it's it's so funny when they get an edge case that they haven't anticipated in terms of, like, uh, track design and, like, corner workers. So, like, how do you get a car off the front straight in front of the pit boxes. Uh, and you can open up the wall, but the entire thing turns into kind of a big to-do. And you heard the uh, you know commentators talking about these cars have a really shitty turning radius yeah. <laughs> uh, at this point. Uh, and so they're like, That's gonna, like this is going to be way harder than you think it's going to be. Uh, because these things basically have to do like a massive K-turn like, like uh, the yachts. to get that thing around. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was funny. I think the the camera didn't show them doing a three point turn with uh, with his car to back it into the pit, but uh, I think Brundle could see it out of his commentary window, and so he was basically doing a play by play of them getting the car off uh, the straight. But uh, the the other problem is when you uh, take it into the pit, people are pitting because it's the virtual safety car, so you need to be careful of that too. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I'm pretty sure a car has broken down there before as well. I know it's happened on Star Finish Race, but I'm pretty sure in Abu Dhabi, when it happened, I was like, oh, I've seen this happen before. And they had a whole thing where they had to open the wall and do it. But yeah. this time they did it way faster, it sounded like. Yeah, they, they got it off uh, pretty quick. Uh, Hamilton pitted going from ultra soft to super soft. So uh, it, it's it's a little early for stops because it's only lap seven or eight. Um so anyone who pits will have to make their tires last a while. But because your rivals are going so much slower around the track, you don't lose as much track to them if you pit. So it's it's advantageous for that reason. Uh, but I think only three people take the opportunity. Hamilton, uh, Leclerc, who pits from fourth, and Grosjean, who pits from sixth. Uh, everybody going on to the super soft tire intending to last 
the rest of the race. Uh, it seemed to go fine for Hamilton after the stop, but Leclerc and Grosjean got totally hosed, um, which I think must be because the rest of the drivers were lapping much faster on their initial tires, hmm. so it negated any advantage that those two got by pitting under the virtual safety car, um, which was a huge bummer because Leclerc was in fourth and Grosjean was in sixth, uh, and which you know would have given them quite, a, quite an advantage for the rest of the race, but yeah, it did not work out in their favor. Uh, Hamilton comes out in fifth behind Verstappen and gets by him immediately diving down the inside of the chicane. But Verstappen fights back, getting DRS at the next straight, slingshotting by uh, and doing a nice job of covering Hamilton uh, from retaking the position again. This this was a good back and forth as well. Though also, like, again, sort of Hamilton practicing what he's what he's preached to Max, right? Like, recognize, like, <laughs> yeah. when 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 is something worth fighting for? And when do you just play your position? And uh, <laughs> Hamilton definitely, like, you know, he was willing to dice it up a little bit. But it being Max, he wasn't going to get, he wasn't going to get let his blood get too up. Right. Uh, Lap 15, slow pit stop from Vettel. 3.7 seconds. Um, you know, mm. He rejoins in fifth, and because it was slow, he doesn't end up undercutting Botas, who he was trying to uh, to get by. Uh, everybody in front, though, soon pits for Stappen, um, then Botas, leaving Ricardo to lead the race ahead of Hamilton, Botas, Vettel, and Verstappen. Uh, Ricardo doesn't pit, though, meaning Verstappen is potentially eating into his time. Mm. Uh, <laughs> by the way... As uh, Danny Page said on Twitter, the podcaster's jinx is greater than the commentator's jinx because, yes, we have rain in Abu Dhabi, Danny. It's amazing. Amazing. It was like it was in the city and it was wind blowing the other direction. But then one of the drivers um, actually, I think it was Magnuson, said he could feel it on his um, on his visor. So mm-hmm. fucking all bets are off the end of the 2018 season. The the ghost of our of our old manager of our old uh, friend is his sprinkler system is turning on. I know he's not dead yet, but he's dead to us, you know. So, God. Uh, lap twenty five, Ericsson reports no power uh, and retires again. Unfortunate for him, his mm. last race in Formula One. Uh, I should mention, like the rain really didn't factor in too much. It sprinkled a little bit, but I think because the track and the air is so hot, it just kind of evaporated and. Nobody well, had to go on intermediates. Did it factor into Ricardo's pit non-strategy? Uh, I guess hmm. is, is the thing, right? Like they, they were sort of theorizing that one of the things that like they kept Ricardo out there a very long time, yes. and was part of the reason that they were willing to let him hemorrhage uh, lap because I think toward the end of his stint, his lap times were starting to go noticeably up, and like he been. He'd been past like the cliff a little bit, uh, and it looked like maybe they were holding out hopes that he would get lucky with the switch to intermediates, uh, mm-hmm. and then eventually yeah. just never, you know. That's the nature of the sport. Sometimes you're praying for rain, and uh, all it does is like you know dampen the tarmac. But mm. yeah, and you know, <laughs> Ricardo's out of there at the end of the season, so why not put him on the long ball strategy? Mm. Uh. He ends up pitting lap 34, comes out behind Verstappen, um, who, you know, ended up kind of undercutting him uh, by pitting first. 
But before that, actually, uh, starting lap 31, we get some fantastic action oh, yeah. with uh, Grosjean and Van Dorn. And Alcon as well in the mix. Yeah, so those two start duking it out on the straight and the chicane. Uh, and there's a lot of good back and forth there, with, um, or which, which slows them down and allows Ocon to join in. Uh, Grosjean wins out of that first chicane, but Ocon has new super soft tires and a double slipstream. Uh, of Grosjean and Van Dorn. And so he shoots to the outside of Van Dorn, looking like he's going to overtake both of them. But then Van Dorn does the same thing to Grosjean on the inside, and they split Grosjean. Uh, and Van Dorn takes the position as they head into the next turn, which was, it was such a cool move. Mm. Uh, and then one lap later, Ocon tries to get him, um, but Van Dorn cuts back, and we have another battle. So... Uh, Van Dorn does a really good defensive job there, uh, forcing Ocon to go the long way around the outside, which he does, but overcooks it and runs mm. off track. Um, and he rejoins and keeps ahead of the position, but earns himself a five-second time penalty for uh, leaving the track and gaining an advantage. He won't uh, be the only person this race to get one of them. That's <laughs> true. Uh, I, I think this is the best action I have ever yes. seen from Van Dorn. Yeah. This, uh, this was like a... Oh yeah, this is the guy I thought they were getting, which is yes. maybe isn't fair. Like maybe this is uh, also for whatever reason he was finally decently matched uh, with other drivers uh, for the first time this year and had a chance to show what he can do. Uh, but this was also the best action of the day's racing, I think. Like a three-way race yeah. Uh, yeah. with like lots of uh, jockeying for position and guys trying different like strategies to attack different corners. Um, it was. You know, it, it, it's weird. It was sort of a midfield battle, uh, but it was it was way more exciting than anything we were seeing up front. And uh, also, you know, there's something to be said for just these big uh, <laughs> these big new venues with just lots of wide track uh, in the <laughs> middle of nowhere, uh, where you can, you know, if the spirit moves you, you can stick three, four F1 cars side by side and yeah, uh, see sure. what happens. It also, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm I'm biased against Ocon or something at this stage. I'm, I'm a bit frustrated with some of the stuff that's happened, um, especially with, with what we talked about last week with with Vettel in in Brazil. But it's it's another example of just like of you should know better, Itis or something like he should have recognized. I think that he had gotten that um, position by leaving yeah. the track or as engineers maybe or something it seemed like such a soft lob and, and for all the battling that went on I don't know it just seemed like a waste you know because five seconds in that situation you think is, is going to make a big difference I'm not sure how it shook out in the end actually yeah I wonder if uh, if if the running strategy for that stuff is just to keep going and if you yeah. get it oh well and maybe by that time you will have uh, created enough of a delta that it won't even matter anymore right yeah. But if you like, if you let him go around you, and you just overtake him again, and then you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't lose as much time. Yeah. I don't know. Would you lose five? Like, would you lose five seconds by doing that? I don't know. No, you, you are always better off taking the track position. Like this mm. season has proven this beyond any doubt. Uh, mm. How many five second penalties has Verstappen eaten uh, this year? <laughs> right. And he's point. come out ahead on that deal because you give up five seconds. Maybe you pay that in the pits or maybe you pay it after the race. But either way, what you don't pay is the probably 10, 15, 20 seconds you'd slowly lose in performance stuck behind somebody. Right. Especially if you have to do it the hard way and you shred your tires trying to overtake. So I think the move is absolutely. 
take one five-second penalty. Don't make a hmm. season-long habit of it to the point where, you know, just for example, the FIA's finally had it with your <laughs> shit at the end of a season and uh, hits you hits you with a with a points penalty on your license. Uh, but I think it's pretty clear at this point that like overtaking an F1 is so freaking hard that man, five seconds that is a bargain. Right. You cut that corner. That's interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they're going to um, address that at all with a with a different penalty or something. But I'll tell you, one, one thing you definitely shouldn't do, though, is try and eat that five-second penalty when you've got, like, one lap left by, by getting a penalty there. Yeah. But we'll, we'll come to that. Uh, <clears throat> meanwhile, Sebastian Vettel has been slowly gaining on Valtteri Bottas, who is in second. Uh, the two stop for super soft tires around the same time, and by lap 35, Vettel catches up and passes Botas with DRS. Uh, but a couple laps later, Verstappen then catches up to Botas, who, as we said, goes off track while defending. Hmm. Um, I, well, he was shoved off track, wasn't he? He, I think that's later. Oh, is it? Okay. He did uh, not look like he could defend worth a damn no. at this yeah. point. No. Like, to the point, I'm starting to worry about. I'm starting to starting to worry about Valtteri. He's a yeah. real number th- number two driver. He's like a number three driver. <laughs> it's starting to look that like his tire management. I don't think has been great all year, mm. but lately it just seems to be worse. That's the only explanation I can have. I wonder for, if like, he just isn't fighting anymore. Maybe I don't know. Oh, just like a broken spirit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you gotta, kind of like he. What's it? What's he? What's he got left to do at this stage? Right. Yeah, I got to think that he wanted to at least win one race and that this is his right. last chance. Yeah. But uh, I guess. yeah, it, it slowly is slipping away. But on lap 38, Verstappen uses uh, DRS on the back straight. Botas defends up the inside, but Verstappen does a switch back and cuts to the outside of the chicane, giving him the advantage into the next turn. And he kind of he does shove Botas at this point off the track uh, and makes it stick, but gets mm. the place all the same. Uh, lap 39, one lap later, Ricardo smells blood in the water and gets by Botas on the next lap with his late-breaking skills. Uh, lap 47, Ocon re- retires with an oil leak. Oh, yeah. Um, lap 47 is when all of the cars just decided that the season was over. And- <laughs> right. You're right. It's like every every, the, every part on every car is just like, oh, I've had it. Done. Ocon breaks down in the pit lane, which yeah, <laughs> that shows you how fucked that car was. <laughs> it couldn't even make it the extra fifty right yards or whatever to get to the garage. Yeah. Uh, one lap later, Gasly's car starts spitting oil um, back into the face of Max Verstappen, who uh, <laughs> was running behind him at the time. Uh, this quote from racefans.net from Verstappen the last few laps were not easy as there was a Toro Rosso leaking oil into my helmet I couldn't really see what was where I was going uh, <laughs> also um, I love led to yet another great entry in the uh, on, in the ongoing uh, genre at this point of Hamilton teaches Verstappen a few things post race uh, Verstappen was talking yeah. about how he couldn't see for the end of the race and Hamilton just looks at him and is like why didn't you have more tearaways left? And Verstappen's like, well, I had a car like spewing oil in front of me. And Hamilton's just like, yeah, you know, you just gotta, you, you just gotta be mindful of that. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta be careful. Uh, don't use up all your tearaways. And it's like, thanks, Lewis. Always, always there with a helpful pointer uh, to, to young Max. 
I love it. He's like one of the, yeah. He's one of those guys. He you tell like a, a bad story to the about like something bad that happened to you, and all they do is give you advice. <laughs> yeah, well, here's how you could fucked have up. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't commiserate at all. No. Just, here's Lewis, where, yeah. Lewis Hamilton wants Max Verstappen to get a shine box. That is yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's my read on that relationship. I'm loving this new. I mean, they're adding a weird like Mario Kart thing to Formula E this season. We'll get to that later on. But I love this new. You know, it's like the ink thing from Mario Kart. You know, that that pops oh, up yeah. on the screen, and that's what happens to Max Verstappen. Um, and poor Fernando Alonso used the boost at the wrong time, and you know, went <laughs> past past the turn. Was it two laps in a row he did it? Uh, at least, yeah. He kept cutting the same <laughs> corner. Trying um, frantically to get get past, I guess it was Magnussen ahead of him, was it? He was trying to get into the points, to get that number 10, um, so he could get points on his final race. And, and he did this amazing <laughs> lap time, this middle sector that was like a second faster than everyone else. Yeah, and they're like, like whoa, what, the, what happened? And then they did the replay and he had just like driven straight past the corner. <laughs> did we also hear that all-time great radio exchange between him and his engineer? Yes. Uh, it's like, Fernando, there's a point. We can get the point. Get after it, baby. Get that point. And Fernando just like waits a beat. I have one thousand eight hundred points. <laughs> and then did the guy respond like it could be one thousand eight hundred and one or something? Yeah. Oh, oh beautiful. My Lord, it was beautiful. great. Yeah. Five second penalty. You know, ends up in. I guess it didn't matter because Hartley was like twenty five seconds behind him or something by that stage. But. Yeah. Uh, and just to add to the weirdness, uh, Will Smith is all over the place. Oh, what the fuck! He on did every race. job on. He did every job yeah. on the. What, how he bizarre. waved the flag to start. He was on the jib for a while. Uh, Manning camera. We never got any shots off that camera uh, when no. when Smith was using it. I suspect he never quite mastered it during the race. I mean, they I showed think, it when Alonso. Remember when Alonso tried two years ago? They showed that. Uh, I think they did show. Uh, let me let me see if I can find they? and put it in the show notes. But I think they, in one of the, at least in one of the the race recaps, they cut it so that it looked like he was doing it. But I, yeah, I, feel, I don't I actually know. I feel like they are over egging the Will Smith pudding. Um, there's 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 too much egg. The pudding is all egg. It's it's just like, you know, last week we had him with the or two weeks ago I guess now the bizarre just like I taught you. Um, yeah, message to Lewis Hamilton, where he he took all the effort for for Lewis's F one career. Um, or, Did you see the the video they released after the race? Was it with no. Will Smith again? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Will Smith ties up Lewis Hamilton, like ties him to a chair, and then puts on Lewis's overalls and helmet, and then hops into a car, and they make it look like you know he was the one racing. Okay, got it. Is, F, is fucking it's Men weird. in Black 4 out next week or something? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They, they had him do every job. He did the... What else did he do? He the, he was on the pit walk. He did he did the the checkered flag, did he? He did he, the start yeah, of the race. Yeah, he waved the checkered flag. So he did, yeah. he, he did both flags. Did he... Did he, was he the one with the fire extinguisher for the crash? <laughs> Maybe, like, yeah. <laughs> he was oh, the he doctor. was in the he was in the pits uh, when Hamilton pitted, and they did like a really fast stop, and then we cut to Will Smith to see his reaction. It was weird. Just like I taught you, pit crew. Just like, yep. Will Smith. I'm also just not, I don't love this just trend toward pre-recorded congratulatory messages, period. By the way, like, what right. was it? Before the race, there was um, a message from, oh gosh, which NASCAR driver was it? Uh, to oh, Alonso. yes, yes. Jimmy Johnson? Um, yeah, it was Jimmy Johnson, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was like, let's go champ. You're yeah. the champ. <laughs> let's go Win champ. That race. You're, you're the champ. Yeah. You're the champ. Also, <laughs> when people keep like 
calling you champ and your career sort of on the downslope, at least yeah. temporarily, it definitely begins to sound like you're an old-fashioned, like, fights guy, like, <laughs> trying to, like, exploit your <laughs> exploit your fighter for just one more, for one more go-round. This is like uh, Fernando Alonso's, he's at the, like, F1 version of Comic-Con sitting at a desk, you know, the champ written above his head, waiting for people to come up and ask for signatures. It did like remind me about how much of a downturn his career is having in a way that I, I don't usually when I think about Fernando. It really like highlighted it, you know, in the way that like when you when you're this is a weird metaphor to bring up, but I've I've this theory that if you wear a pair of socks and a and a shirt, you actually look more naked. <laughs> because it's because it's framing the naked and i yeah. feel like when you when you bring up that he used to be a champ it just frames it like it reminds you about the 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 poor end to his career he's had uh, be it you know his problem or the the fact that the only team that'll have him is a bit of a dud at the moment yeah uh, yeah, he doesn't end up getting that final point uh, he finishes mm-hmm. the race in 11th but finishing first is lewis hamilton uh, on top once again, for this uh, season, he passes the all-time points record for, or he's the first driver to reach three thousand points, right? Uh, in his career, since they instituted, well, since ever, but they instituted points down to tenth place, I think, in two thousand ten. Um, second place, Sebastian Vettel and Max Verstappen hang on to third behind him, uh, just off the podium, Danny Rick. Then we got Valtteri Bottas plummeting uh, from second to fifth place. Mm. Behind them, we got Carlos Sainz, best of the rest. Uh, Then Charles Leclerc, Perez, Grosjean, and Magnussen rounding out the top ten. Behind them, Alonso, Hartley, Stroll, Van Dorn, and Sirotkin. Out of the race were Gasly with a power unit problem, Ocon with oil pressure, uh, Ericsson with a technical problem, Raikkonen with electronics, and Hulkenberg with his accident. Uh, also, I didn't see the podium because my recording cut off, but oh, uh, Hamilton <laughs> totally <laughs> took his top off or something. Was it? Take, yeah. Oh, dude, it's so okay. So first of all, I, I think we should also say there was a really nice moment with him, with Hamilton, Vettel, and Alonso yes. going formation around the track. Oh uh, yeah, doing donuts at the at the more open parts of the corners. Um, that was it, awesome. It was a really great like it was a great photo finish to that race, right? Of of like. Here are three generational talents, like three people mm. who've defined this era of racing. It also drove home that era is ending, right? Like, yeah. it's not Seb's day anymore. It sure ain't Fernando's. Hamilton, we'll see how much longer he can, you know, fight uh, sort of the, the, the winds of change uh, in F1. He's certainly the best position to do so. But, it, like, you know, these were the guys who sort of ended the Schumacher era. Yeah. And now their era is, uh, you know, pr- pretty well pretty well done. Um, and it was sort of great seeing that sort of, uh, you know, just respect and, uh, you know, collegiality, uh, there, there at the end of the race. And, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to fathom. It's, it's always weird to me when I see Hamilton and Alonzo, like being friendly with each other when I, cause for me, like I, I still remember 2007 so clearly, right? right? Like maybe the most poisonous garage relationship I've ever mm. seen, uh, in, did, in my lifetime. Did you see the, um, uh, there was a, they, both of them were on the press conference before the race this week. 
um and some questions came up about um uh the, the relationship um and it was really good it was like you could tell Hamilton is just so so much more of a mature person than he was then and I'm not saying that he was at fault at what was going on there that I certainly don't think that's the case but like both both men are older and wiser and and I think Hamilton is a lot more centered I think actually and then Alonso is probably just a lot more mature right he's, he's he's not fighting that game anymore um so that I thought was really sweet and then they also had like an interview with the three of them with Coulthard um yeah uh, after the race as well which was which was quite nice uh, and then this video I was sort of laughing about earlier with the with the helmets so that's actually a, it's quite a nice uh, video as well I I'm I'm with you on the idea that like as a, as a group of drivers this is kind of like the you know the sunset of of that era f- uh, for sure and um, what I'm sort of a little bit frustrated at is that just the dominance of Mercedes has has really extended that era in a way that what I kind of want more than anything is for Red Bull to give Max Verstappen the car to get him that championship because he is right up there with mm-hmm. those guys. But the other thing that he has is he has that... Like, Hamilton is, has, is, is mature, right? Hamilton has now got that little bit of prost in him where he'll give the place back and get the points, right? Vettel is kind of getting that way as well. Like, he's more pragmatic. He's less, you know, losing the head all the time. He did a little bit in the first half of the season, but then once the championship sort of left... and I don't did, know that I agree with this diagnosis of Vettel's headspace I mean, year. two years ago was when he, like, crashed into Hamilton in, in uh, Baku. Baku yeah. So, like, as a... You know, if there was a graph, I feel like he's, he's not as bad as he was maybe two years ago. Yeah, now he um, just hits a wall. Yeah, uh, that's no, true. I, but, I don't know, but, it's... but Verstappen, I think Verstappen is the one that like, you know the way when you like when you have like a you have a, a pet cat and they're like getting old in their age, you get the fucking kitten and it springs them back into life. It like does something, and I feel like what they need is Verstappen to get in a car or one of these rookies to just be there because we have a field full of fucking rookies. We've had rookies coming at the yin yang for the past three years. They come in and they disappear, and then we see them in Formula E forty eight months later. Like what we need one of those drivers to get the car that that puts them up there because we haven't had that 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 new, not even a prodigy. We just haven't had somebody new in the mix now in a, in a good I think while. Leclerc is your boy for that. Yeah, we had Rosberg, but Rosberg was there because he had the best car and they were so dominant those years. So I don't. Yeah, I think Leclerc is 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 going to be a good shot next year, and and hopefully also we'll see the Red Bulls getting in there. Yeah, I, I think. Um I have really high hopes for Leclerc at this point. Like I've fully converted into thinking like this, you know, this guy really is a, a top shelf talent, uh, what he's been able to do in a Sauber. Um, and I, I am very curious, my, my hope, speaking of the like, you know, little kitten sort of bringing back the playfulness of the, of the older cat, I'm hoping Leclerc can sort of spur a resurgence from Vettel. Uh, and maybe give him a, a, a good sparring partner uh, within the team. Uh, anything to sort of arrest the slide uh, we, we, we've seen this year uh, mm-hmm. with, with Vettel. Uh, but yeah, I think there's the, the, the broader issue, though, is that this era has also been defined by basically two really <sighs> almost unfair runs of championships, right? Like, and not unfair in this. It just not, it does not feel like people have had a sporting chance for a lot of these championships. Vettel, when he was at Red Bull, you know, had a you know car that was vastly superior to anything out there, um, and then sort of that torch got passed to Mercedes. And mm. I guess maybe sort of you're sitting there, you're watching those three guys drive around the track, and it dawns on you that you never did get to see 
these guys step into the ring the way you think they they should have, right? Like it like it, it rarely felt like these guys were sort of going blow for blow. Uh, the way their sort of overlapping careers would have implied. Yeah, and I feel like even in the Red Bull era, you were seeing a lot more of that. Like you were, you were, you'd you'd seasons going down to the end that weren't just between the two drivers on the same team. And uh, you know, it's it's the worrying thing is that Mercedes every single year has come out with that car. Like we 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 look at Spain. In you know at the start of the season and uh, or preseason and and it happens again you know in Valencia so you know my, at least it would be nice if the Ferraris kept with the pace this time because they were they were there right the first couple of races you're kind of like maybe they're 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 you know snapping at their heels and then it just fucking went away from them well, again they basically said they like completely like after the after the break their development program went down a completely disastrous path. They basically had to hit reset. Uh, they basically had to, had to load a previous version uh, of, their, of their design document. <laughs> they had to uh, respect? Like, they, they have... Yeah, because like, I think they had to basically throw away all the technical development they did. Oh. Uh, like, po- like, you know, because the car that raced at Spa was sort, of, was sort of locked in. They'd already made decisions that would come into play after Spa. Every decision they made... For those cho- for those for those uh, evolutions of the design were bad, right. and I think three four races ago they basically blew all those changes away and went back to uh, nice. the older configurations. Like shit happens, but like that is not something you can afford to do if you're going. To, you you can't make it like don't make the car worse, right? Like right. parts gonna underperform, but like you can't have technical development mid season actually make the car less competitive um but anyway the uh the the podium ceremony was was something else um lewis was lewis was feeling uh the spirit moved him uh and he was very (laughs) excited to show uh his new tattoo um what was his new tattoo i didn't even see the new tattoo okay so the thing is um what he showed on the camera the new tattoo didn't really show up. And okay. so he's up there on the podium ceremony. He starts to strip. It's just like and inner thigh? Is that, no, is, thank God. No, not, no it, was, it was a pubic bone. Uh, t- no, obviously not. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a shoulder tattoo. Um, okay. But he starts to strip. And everyone's like, kind of like, what the hell's going on? Um, <laughs> and then he turns around and shows his tattoo and like, you know, frames his, frames his shoulders. But the sh- tattoo doesn't show up on the camera. The shot's too distant. Uh, it's too. It, it, it's not. It's not big enough. It's not detailed enough. What does show up clear as day is the giant fucking crucifix tattoo uh, that's on his back, which is maybe not awesome. Like being a well, British guy in a Middle Eastern Muslim majority country. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, uh, probably didn't go over the way he anticip- he anticipated. The new tattoo was <clears throat> uh, the legend "Still I Rise" uh, across the okay. shoulders, which is um, you know a Maya Angelou uh, quote. Yes. But the moment didn't come off. I think the way Lewis anticipated. It wasn't like the the you know Grand Theft Auto Four reveal. It wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing is that good. Uh, yeah, it's more weird. Fallout seventy six reveal. Boom. <laughs> 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 Dude, 
Diablo 4. Really. The Fallout 76 reveal was the first happened through the first lap because it was a crash, baby. Video games, <laughs> Whoa. video Whoa. games. I like Fallout 76. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the <laughs> final standings, shall we? Yes. Uh, Lewis Hamilton with 408. Uh, <laughs> damn. Breaks 3,000 points. Sebastian Vettel comes home in second place uh, solidly with 320. And then we have an amazingly close third place. Uh, Raikkonen finally gets it with 251. Verstappen jumps Botas uh, in the last race to come home in fourth with 249. Botas 247. And as someone pointed out on Reddit... Uh, by ordering Botas to move aside for Hamilton in Russia due to the championship, Mercedes actually <laughs> robbed Botas of third place wow. in the final standings. That sucks. And and his uh, only and his and his only race win would have been as well. Yeah. This year. yeah. Uh Ricardo mm-hmm. in a lonely uh what is that? Uh sixth place. Sixth. Uh Nico Hulkenberg. Sixth is awesome for the luck he had. Yes, you're right. Mm, For how yeah. many times he went out with DNFs? God, yeah, so many. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg wins the Formula 1.5 championship, uh, followed by uh, Perez, uh, Magnussen, and then Carlos Sainz jumps two places in this final race uh, to come home ahead of Alonso and Ocon. Huh. Uh, by the way, Perez and Ocon had their points reset uh, yeah. after their team, you know, uh, changed around. Uh, wait, that's totally wrong. I think the drivers keep their points. The team got their the points team. reset. Yeah. Uh, never mind. Okay, uh, behind them, also jumping a place is Charles Leclerc, jumping ahead of uh, Roman Grosjean <clears throat> in the last race. Uh, and then we've got uh, Gasly. Uh, Van Dorn, Erickson, Stroll, uh, Hartley, and with one point, Sergei Sorotkin. <clears throat> Everyone Excuse gets me. points. Everyone gets points. Everyone gets a trophy. Can we pour one out for uh, one last one last hurrah? Talking about pouring one out, we should pour one out for uh, uh, Hypersoft, Ultrasoft, and Supersoft because we will never see them again. That's right. Hard, medium, soft, baby. What? Yeah. Why? Because I think it's more useful to know about the, like, I know what those compounds are at this point. Mm. Like, if you say hypersoft, like, I rarely see it, but I know what it implies, right? If now we're saying every race, here, next year, this is what they're going to have to explain. Okay, these are not the softs you remember from last week in Monaco. <laughs> uh, these softs are actually what were uh, the mediums in, that is the reality we are heading towards. People are like, He's this right. is going to make things so much easier. It is not, because the differences in these compounds actually matters a great deal. And to make it accessible, they're actually going to make it more obscure. Yeah, I think that I, I think he's right. I think this is going to be. I think for everyone fans, this is going to be worse. But they're they're doing it to like try and you know have one less barrier. But I don't know, man. If I'm watching F1, I'm the fucking names of the tires isn't going to be the thing that pushes me away. If I get past the names of the drivers, yeah. the tires are going to be fine. <laughs> You're a cult. Just accept it. Like yeah, totally. everyone who follows this is fucking Embrace weird. It. Be fucking Dark Souls. Be the Dark Souls of sports. <laughs> uh, so uh, for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, number one, Pirelli has extended their contract to 2023. Uh, so they will be the sole tire supplier until at least then. 
Um, but they're changing uh, the way that they refer to their tires uh, for next year. So starting in 2019, you will only hear uh, hard, medium, and soft for each race weekend. But behind the scenes, uh, a lot of those compounds compounds will still be there. Uh, they just won't be called super soft or hyper soft or anything. Uh, they'll be referred to by numbers with one being the hardest compound. Uh, we're also reducing from seven, uh, a gradient of seven tires to either five or six. Mm. Uh, and I think the mm. super soft tire is going away. At least, uh, at least that one. Um, but uh, I guess we should do constructor standings too. Mercedes 655 uh ferrari 571 red bull with 419 renault in fourth with 122 haas gene house mclaren's got 62 force india 52 seventh place not bad for someone who got their uh points reset halfway through the season uh sauber with 48 scuderia toro rosso got 33 and williams ended the season with seven points okay uh let's take it to the news we got some quick stuff here driver i guess not everything is totally confirmed here but pretty much uh hartley is out of formula one uh again again um and will be replaced by one alexander albon who uh danny you mentioned before the show uh had originally signed to drive for nissan in formula e Yep, uh, he was uh, he was released about uh, just a couple of days ago, and then this news came out. So the Formula E season starts in three weeks' time, so they have to get another driver. <laughs> yeah, um, this is from RaceFans.net. He is a former junior, a Red Bull junior driver who has been called to uh, join their Formula One program. He was part of the Red Bull program in 2012, but was dropped uh, thereafter, moving to GP3 in 2016 and finishing runner-up to champion Charles Leclerc. Uh, He finished third in this year's F2 championship behind George Russell and Lando Norris, who will also race in F1 in 2019. Uh, Like Russell and Norris, Albon was born in England, but his mother is Thai, so he races under the Thai flag. Hmm. Uh, And this is the first time since 2010 that the top three from Formula 2 will graduate uh, directly to Formula 1. So that's kind of cool. Esteban Ocon... Uh, is officially a Mercedes re- reserve driver. Total Wolf saying uh, in uh, a quote from racefans.net, quote, he will spend a lot of time in the simulator and be ready for a seat in 2020. Whether that means Botas is uh, <laughs> on the yeah. top block, I don't know. <laughs> fucking way, he, to, way to break it to him. <laughs> he apparently has a one-year deal uh, into 2019 with an option for a further season in 2020. I love uh, how Hamilton is under contract the, for two more years. Sorry, the, the the idea of him like we're gonna put him in the simulator for two years. It's like this fucking like <laughs> lawnmower man type shit. He's gonna come out with like you know those you know fucking screens for eyes or something. He's not it, like like you know Drago and Rocky he's or something. Getting, you know, he's getting like a and can't they thing where it's like when you see when you see Verstappen hit him, hit him. Exactly. <laughs> uh, also, uh, the last outstanding confirmation is stroll at force india this strangely has not been confirmed yet but he has been uh testing uh with force india oh uh, man wonder if he gets the job i know (laughs) questions abound uh also in uh driver changes jensen button is joining sky next year yes which i think is perfect i always thought that guy would make a fantastic uh, uh television presenter 
and he is he is doing that next year. So I think that's yeah. awesome. They had him do a bunch of stuff over the past couple of years, like little interviews with other drivers. Um, so I, I think, yeah, he's he's really good at that sort of stuff. So yeah, happy to see him back. I, he's such a nice, pleasant guy as well. Um, I always like hearing from him. Yeah, I like that guy. Uh, some late breaking news here: the W Series has named fifty-five drivers. That's too many, uh, too many cars, too many cars. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to draw lots here, uh, girls. Well, this is too much. <laughs> they will be going to uh, whittle those down with uh, uh, David Coulthard and Alex Worse, who is the uh, he's Sausage. a former F1 driver and uh, the chairman of the Grand Prix Drivers Association. Uh, this from the BBC. Uh, w Series will be using the same assessment system uh, that his company has used for the governing body FIA, uh, FIA's Institute of Excellence. So, uh, quote here from Mr. Wurz, quote, I will be on the judging panel along with uh, David Coulthard and others. The goal is to put together the toughest, most sophisticated selection involving all aspects of a racing driver's life. The mind, the body, driving, fitness, psychological and psychometric, uh, skills of interviewing and presenting, and so on. Uh, so not just about speed, I guess. Hmm. Just a uh, quick thought. Uh-huh. Maybe a woman should be involved in that screening yeah. process. Think, was, was just he, yeah, he, yeah. He says huh. David Coulthard and others. I don't know who those <laughs> others are going to be, but yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the I will link the full list of drivers in the um, show notes, but they are aged uh, 17 to 33. Eight of them are from the USA. Uh and a number of them will be taking part in the Formula E test on December 16th, including uh, Amna Al-Kabaisi, uh, Jamie Chadwick, Carmen Jorda, and Baitska Visser. Uh, nice. So yeah, well done. Those are hard that names. Is moving ahead. Uh, regarding that Formula E test, um, I have a quote here from uh, racefans.net from Venturi Formula E team principal, Susie Wolf. Uh, whose team will run former Formula E and ED car racer Simono Di Silvestro in the test. Uh, she says the test must be a genuine opportunity for development rather than a marketing exercise. <clears throat> Quote, I was quite vocal in how the concept should be transported and run properly rather than just creating an opportunity which creates a lot of attention but actually doesn't have any fundamental credibility or any long-lasting impact. Uh, it's not going to be positive change for the long run. Uh, we had quite some discussions at our team principals meeting that actually... Uh, teams will run a female driver if they find one they want to run uh, that's of the right level. There will be no different sessions for different levels. There will be no women just put in the car completely out of their depth. I lost a very good friend of mine who should never have been in the situation that she was. Uh, Wolf says that Hmm. she is very confident that we have now created an opportunity that is going to have a very positive impact and show not just the Saudi community but the wider world what is possible. You can't underestimate the impact of seeing women on track. That's something visible that women can identify with, and that's role models to which they can aspire. Uh, so, yeah, movement on that stuff. Stuff's that's happening. Good. That's good. That's I mean, yeah, if nothing else, we're talking about it. Stuff is happening. It might There will be an actual racing series, and then, you know, also maybe maybe that's making movement in the other stuff informally and whatnot. You never know. Uh, sort of related, but this is this is old news. I found an article from 2014 uh, where uh, Moto3 rider Anna Carrasco, who has since gone on to uh, win a uh, superbike championship, um, but there's a, there's this picture of her. Apparently, when Moto3 was racing at Assen, 
Um, everybody else had Grid Girls, uh, and MotoGP is especially <laughs> egregious. I think still with Grid Girls, hmm. uh, they hold umbrellas with as they stand next, or as the drivers or the riders are on the grid. Uh, she had a grid boy, and there's a picture in this article that I will link. He's just like washboard abs, uh, oh, shirtless. Christ. By the way, uh, shirtless. standing next wow. to her, holding an umbrella. It's it's so good. That's wonderful. They didn't even the, the Monaco boys didn't even take their shirts off. I know. Uh, it's all happening over in over in the motorbikes. Those two wheels where it's at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, um, a few people sent me this. Uh, there is a supercut of all of Will Buxton's Haas puns throughout <laughs> the year. Uh, if you've never seen the uh, the like pre-show that he does, where he walks around the paddock <laughs> yeah. and basically uh, does like a um, you know an introduction to the weekend, when he gets to Haas, he always has some terrible Haas pun, uh, and uh, the supercut is pretty good. So we would know anything about well. terrible Haas puns. No, certainly not. No, absolutely not. Uh, also, according to to Reddit, this is apparently the first season in F1 history where no driver changes occurred during the year. So we huh. finished with the same drivers that we started with. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm trying to remember, I mean... I guess it's because of a certain Russian driver who's coming back next year <laughs> was, was why in recent years we had that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah, And we also had no injuries, I guess, in that regard, which is, which is good. Right, nobody had to sub in. Yeah. Huh. Uh, and finally, the fantasy standings of the oh, Shift F1 Fantasy Formula 1 League. I will go Drum from uh, bottom to top here. At the bottom, <laughs> 189th place is me. Uh, and then 10th place, go F1 yourself. Then we have Hypersoft Heist in 9th, followed by Bluto's Elite. Ghost Racer, hashtag Kafiat did nothing wrong. In fifth, we have Orange Bee King F1, followed by Renault You Didn't, Made in Haas. In second, Speedy McCready's, and oh number one, Bobby Gondo Racing, with a dominant Amazing. victory, uh, with 2,831 points, uh, ahead of second place, 2,785. So, congratulations, Bobby Gondo Racing. Uh, good championship. Nice work. Congratulations. It's more we, points we, than we, Fernando. Send, yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> oh, amazing. It's a shame we don't like sell shirts or something. We could send them a shirt. <laughs> there we you should go. sell shirts. We should sell race, uh, race. But you know what do you call what do you call race race suits? Uh, fire suits. Yeah. Yeah. We just get a bunch of sponsors on it. Pay for itself. And that was 2018. We have an email here from uh, Kyle. He says, Abu Dhabi marked the end of my first season watching F1. It definitely felt like an exceptional season, but was it really? I'd very much appreciate your opinions on how this season ranks in the history of F1. Will we be talking about 2018 in 2028, or will we have forgotten it by this time next year? Thanks for the fantastic podcast. Thank you, Kyle. All right, guys, 2018. How was it? Classic. Classic? Yeah, I, I look, it's been strange to me to see the argument. I, I've seen a lot of quarters that, like, this was a particularly bad season. Uh, I think a lot of this is just due to Mercedes fatigue uh, with, with that team's dominance. But that dominance probably came closest to cracking uh, this year. Mm-hmm. And for, I would say, about half the season, maybe a little bit more, 
this did not feel like it was done and dusted. It felt like there was a very, very much an active battle uh, at the front. And that's something that really hasn't felt like it's held for a number of years in F1. And so I, I think, to me, this championship really was less about the cars than it was about, at least the driver's championship, uh, than it was about the way Hamilton and Vettel uh, both responded to the pressure they were placed under. Uh, and, you know, in general, I think what I tend to remember from a given season of racing uh, is who was who was competing for the championship uh, in the end. And that's that's what I tend to remember the most. Uh, there's a decent amount of midfield action. There's some, there's some good racing throughout. But uh, anytime you have a season that has sort of that single combat, uh, you know, aspect to it, I think it's a pretty damn good season. That's that's what I that's what I come here for. Uh, this season delivered. Now Seb couldn't sustain it, but hey, that's the nature of that's the nature of that kind of fight, right? Like eventually someone cracks, and it's unfortunate it happened like in September. Uh, but you know that's them's the breaks. Yeah, yeah. I think. Sorry, go ahead. Good. Uh, all right. I was just going to say that uh, for how apparent the you know quote formula 1.5 split is at least there are three of those top teams right like it's and it's not a given or it certainly wasn't in the beginning of the season that mercedes would would uh win the races and, and run away with the championship so um uh you know ferrari uh looked good then and red bull has also shown flashes of brilliance over the years so you can never really count them out so it's not like people like to th- treat it like it's this uh, that they always know who's going to win, but it's it's for me it's not like that. Um, of course, I would love to have it be as mixed up as the rest of the field is, but there's still a lot to be thankful for, I think, uh, and there was a lot to enjoy in the in the season in particular. Yeah, I think I, as somebody who doesn't support any of the teams, I don't think any of us really do, right? Do any of us have a team in particular we like, or like I have drivers I like, right? But Team-wise, we're we're all pretty like neutral, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's like an important part of of appreciating, um, the sport on a sort of race by race level. Like, uh, as much as it's silly, I don't I don't necessarily care as much about the dri- the the driver standing at the end of the season. When I wake up on a Sunday morning, or, or if I'm you know late on a sun Saturday night or whatever, I want to enjoy the race and i want there to be interesting action and interesting stories and i think we got a lot of that stuff this year like i felt like there wasn't that many races where i came away from it going like god that was a real stinker like i was looking forward to you know hopping on the podcast and talking uh, to you guys about them so you know there's lots of like interesting bits and bobs we had a, a lot of like dramatic crashes with with uh was it alonso had that bad one in belgium we had the um uh, incidents with the red bulls in baku which was an interesting thing we had Mm -hmm. kimmy trying to get his you know another race win and then eventually did at the end of the season yeah Um, we had the ever you know the ever-present specter of both ricardo's uh, car failing and vettel doing something silly like Mm -hmm. there was always there was incidents happening in these races all the time I felt like and and you know I can't point to that many particular instances but there was lots of times during these races where the last 10 laps got really good where like tire strategy came down to somebody catching somebody else I feel like that was constantly happening in a way that you know like Rob alluded to 
yes, Mercedes ran away with it again. But this, if you compare this year to like the previous couple of years, this is like this was different. Like there were races where different teams were going after each other in the last ten laps, and it wasn't just like a foregone conclusion after you know lap thirty-seven. So. I thought it was... I really enjoyed it. I don't think there's, like, you know... There's no moments people will probably refer to in this season as, like, the classic thing that happened. There's a lot of familiar faces and, and a lot of new names that didn't really make their mark. But I thought it was good. Like, I, I enjoyed this season. And if we got a season like this next year, I'd be satisfied. Um, if we got a better one, I, I'll be even more happy. Yeah. Totally agree. I think I think it was a, a really good season. And... Um... I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to the way that it's setting up for 2019 as well. Mm. Uh, and another email here from Ray saying, "Hello, this is my first year following F1, and I am hooked. I'm looking for other racing series to fill the void after the season ends. So I was wondering if y'all follow any other racing series, and if so, what do you like about them? Uh, P.S. The show has helped so much in understanding uh, what is going on during a race. So thanks. <laughs> thanks, Ray. You want to talk about Formula E? I do, Danny. Okay. There is no better time to get in to Formula <laughs> E. And I say that I say that every year. But I say that this year truthfully. I was lying all the other times. Um because it's we're we're hitting a reset. Like you know, John Vern won last year, he won his first championship. Um there was an interesting constructors battle with that where um uh, Tichita ended up winning um over uh, that over um Audi, I guess it was. Um with two points uh, but all that is in the past it does not matter because the gen 2 cars are coming out these are new cars uh they go faster um the power output's going from 200 kilowatts up to 250 they're almost getting up to that 300 kilometers an hour mark and um, they're hitting about uh, 280 it's about 170 miles an hour um new chassis they have the halo stuck on them they have new batteries which means that they last the entire race which if you've never watched formula e before previously they would swap cars halfway through the race um which might be my favorite part of formula e unfortunately <laughs> rob's nodding his head well, well, it was like it was a little taste of old fashioned uh, Le Mans, right? Where like the so, yeah. first thing you have to do is sprint to your car <laughs> and go. Um, so they're losing that. They they <clears throat> they did lose it. They a couple of times. I think it was half of last season. They had they sort of mixed that sort of stuff up. And they also had um they added a new rule last year where there was a, like a minimum time, which meant that the drivers didn't have as it wasn't as crazy. They used to hop in the car and just stick their foot on the pedal and go. Um, <laughs> But, uh, buckle their seat belts as they're going down the pit lane yeah exactly actually speaking of that um there was a one i did look up that driver uh, or sorry the pit guy who had his leg broken um all those months ago remember kimmy reichen yeah, guy? yeah he's yeah. doing he's doing really well he's gone through he has an instagram you can check out how he's doing but he's like hang he's walking around hanging out with his kids and, and he's doing all right so he's recovered that's very good um, news well. yeah um but sorry, back to Formula E. Uh, the thing that they're adding this year, they have a bunch of stuff like Fan Boost we've talked a lot about, which is a, you know, you basically tweet a driver's name <laughs> or vote on a website and halfway through the race, they get a, a little bit of boost of power. They're adding something new next year, um, which is called Hyper Boost, uh, but it's kind of colloquially being referred to as Mario Kart mode, <laughs> um, in which drivers are going to receive an additional 25 kilowatts of power uh, by driving through a designated area of the circuit, which is not on the racing line. Oh, it's F zero. 
So yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's actually F Zero. It's actually way more F Zero than Mario Kart. I don't know why they. I guess there's boost pads in Mario Kart, but that's that. Yeah, that is like the F Zero way. Um, the duration of the boost uh, mode and the number of boosts available is going to be decided in advance of every race by the FIA. So they're going to sort of like gauge it, um, uh, and also to stop teams uh, from anticipating its use and incorporating it into their race strategy. So kind of in the same way, the fan boost stuff gets announced during the race so that they can't sort of like game it and um, they're going to do the same thing here where they're going to kind of hold on to it a bit so it's like an wow. offline anti-drs where like you you drive offline to charge up your boost yeah and like and then like collect all the pebbles as well i guess but, like yeah okay so but i guess with that i wonder where they're going to position that like are they going to do that through corner complexes where it's like oh like drive through the suboptimal right. racing line i that sounds so weird so i i think i think good. they get the post i think they i think it's like a slalom where once they go through they get the power then it's not like it's it's going into their reserve and they can use it whenever they want it's that would that would be mario kart i think this is more like you are once you're there this is where you get the extra speed oh so i can so it is a bit like a speed boost right at the end so as you exit that zone you get the like sproing and no, I, I think I think it might. Ha- I, I have to look this up, but I think it happens like on a like imagine a straight where if you go on the inside, which yeah. isn't the racing line, you can just go faster on that straight as long as you're the, as long as you enter oh, that wow. zone. I like think that's walkway. what it is. Yeah, that's yeah, so totally weird. Um, hmm. Okay, I guess I have to see when. I, but yeah, that's that's the sort of the the big. Um, that's the big non-car uh, change that's sort of coming to the series next year. Um, there's a big change, a lot of changes in terms of the teams and ch- uh, drivers and stuff. Uh, BMW is going to be entering, uh, partnering with Andretti. Uh, Mercedes affiliate HWA is going to come into the championship, um, which is going to have a technical partnership with Venturi. Uh, Nissan is entering as a manufacturer, replacing Renault at uh, edams which is was one of the most dominant teams um, especially at the start uh, of formula e uh, renault's basically s- deciding to focus on formula one as they're that's the sort of reason they're leaving formula e uh, uh, kind of as part of that uh, you know the prost family has sort of like strong ties to renault nico was driving for edams for the past couple of years uh, he's out of there so he's he's no hmm. longer um, racing there um he's no longer racing in formula e i'm pretty sure uh, Tichita is also switching as a result of this is sort of a knock-on effect uh, switching from a Renault to a DS Automobiles powertrain and then Virgin who also was running a Renault is going to an Audi powertrain so there's a bit of a, a shake-up there um, wow, a as, lot of shake-ups. As, yeah as well as the new cars so like basically this is the year where you don't have to care about what happened in the previous years like it's going to be a total um uh, sort of shift uh there's a lot of driver changes happening i'm just going to focus on the f1 stuff because there's such a massive there's always a massive change in it formula e teams rarely keep the, the same drivers every year or both drivers um but there's a bunch of formula e names coming in here uh, which people will be interested in uh the first one of course is former sauber ferrari and williams driver felipe massa um, ah. who's going to be joining venturi uh he's replacing tom dillman uh dillman is moving uh to formerly uh, to an nio um where uh, luca Filippi was before um former mclaren f1 driver and 2015 gp2 series champion stoffel van dorn i've heard um, of him yes um he's going to be uh joining as well with hwa race lab 
Um, FIA, yeah, Formula 2 championship driver Alexander Albon, who we were talking to, uh, who took the seat at Toro Rosso, I guess. He was going to be racing um, for that Nissan Edam team, so that's no longer happening. Um, Felix Rosenquist left Mahindra. He's F1 as well, uh, to join Chip Gassani Racing in their IndyCar series. So he's out of Formula 2. Chip Ganassi? Is that what's called? Chip Ganassi? Chip Ganassi, yeah. Ganassi? Ganassi? Uh, he'll be replaced by former Manor and Sauber F1 driver Pascal Verline. Um, oh, okay. Verline, uh, Verline will be partnered with another ex-F1 name, uh, Jerome D'Ambrosio, um, who moved to the team from Dragon Racing. He's been in Formula 1 for, or Formula E for a while. Um, D'Ambrosio is replacing another XF1 head, uh, Nick Heidfeld. Uh, Rosenquist is actually going to be driving the opening round for Mahindra, though, uh, in, because Verline can't do that race for some reason, so he's got one more um, shake at the series before he heads off to IndyCar. Um, we have 12 races this year, the most they've ever had. It was 11 last year. We also only have, I think... Oh, no, sorry, we have 13, because with the... Uh, sorry, 13 is the... We have 12 last year, 13 this year. We only have one double up. Which is good, I think, because the double ups sometimes got tiresome when there's too many of them. That means that they race, they you know they do practice, qualifying, and, and racing in the same day, but they do them back to back. So it'll be like one crazy weekend of of, uh, of racing. Um, but but they always do it for the last race, and they're keeping that, and I love it because it means that the last weekend is always bananas. We've we've had. I think every year it's gone down to the last race, the championship, um, if not the, the last weekend at least. We've had incredible endings to seasons where drivers were trying to get the fastest lap to get points to win the championship, even though they're, you know, they're, they only had like five laps left under a second car. Like it's crazy the stuff that's happened in Formula E over the past couple of years. Um, and I think a lot of that is to do with that final last uh, race double up. Um, but we do have a bunch of other uh, uh, new races, I guess. There's one in Saudi Arabia, uh, Riyadh, which is where we're starting on December 15th. Then we're off to Marrakesh uh, in January on the 12th, uh, we're in Santiago um, in Chile, which there was a Santiago race, but they've moved where the circuit is. And that's going to be, or sorry, they've moved where the where the race is happening to uh, the Park O'Higgins circuit. A very famous Chilean name there, O'Higgins. <laughs> um, uh, uh, 26th of uh, January, that's on. Um, 16th of February, right around uh, Valentine's Day, we're back to the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, which we have had many times in Formula E. Uh, the Hong Kong Grand Prix follows that in March. Uh, the China, Chinese Grand Prix is back, but they've moved it. It's now in Sanya. It was in Beijing before. Um, so that's going to be on the 23rd of March. Then the Romy Prix in April on the 13th. Paris on the 27th of April. Uh, we're back to Monaco. They sort of do like a... I guess that historic Monaco race is on every two years. So hmm. they do Formula E in the gap years. So we didn't have Monaco last year. We did two years ago because of that uh, historic race so we're back in monaco again this year um halfway through may uh, then to berlin on the 25th they didn't do it in oh no they always did it in berlin but the next one's changed uh the swiss one is in Bern this year um they did it in zurich i believe the past couple of years but there was a issue with i think the, sorry go on no, just a just a question for you. Yeah, because uh, I remember when I tr- I tried getting into Formula E a couple years ago, and a frustration I had is that so many of the venues did not feel suited to running any kind of race, particularly like the London one. Right, I think was basically yeah. on a pedestrian and bike path, uh, and so you had extensive portions where, like, literally, if you put two cars side by side, each of those cars would probably be touching the wall, and that was kind of frustrating because, like. If you got overtaking's tough in F1, like there were a lot of Formula E races where I was sort of looking at them and like 
there was no room at all. Like, have they still kind of got that problem where they're jamming these things into like dense urban centers for sort of the uh, the, the the crowd draw? Yeah, the, the the whole sort of ethos behind Formula E being that it's like this electric, you know, uh, cars, and that's a very like city centric met- metropolitan concept. Mm-hmm. So what you've the whole idea of the start was that they weren't going to race in the middle of nowhere; they were always going to race in cities. And I think Battersea was basically the in London. It was the worst case scenario of what was going on, where they were forcing. They wanted that big ticket finale, which is why it ended at Battersea. I think for the first at least two years, it ended there. Um, and it wasn't, it was a park. It wasn't even like real proper roads, you know. It wasn't Circuit Gilles Villeneuve or something or, or Melbourne, right? It was It was really just like a small enough park in the south side of the Thames in London. So that was the worst one. I think the fact that they're changing some of these, like the Santiago one is now in a different spot. They've moved the Chinese one. Um, the, the the one in Switzerland has been moved as well. I think that they're they're trying to fix that a lot more. It was never as bad as Battersea every week, but there was an issue where a lot of these tracks were not very well set up, especially because they're so artificial. Like a lot of them are, you know, artificial corners that they've put into wider areas of, or car parks or whatever, you know what I mean? So, you know, I, I think, for instance, the New York Grand Prix, which is the final two races on the 13th and 14th of July, those, I think, are the some of the better city circuity stuff that they've done um, since. Uh, I, and probably New York looks a lot like Battersea, but as a circuit, it's actually a lot better and there has been better overtakes. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the extra power does, whether or not that mm-hmm. changes uh, the layouts at all. Um, I'm not sure. They sort of tweak every circuit every year a, a little bit. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see there. But it's definitely better than it was that first season. And, ba- and Battersea was, you know, was always exciting because it was the end, but it was not... The circuit didn't help a lot of stuff. There was actually better racing at those circuits than I think people expected, but it still wasn't uh, super good. Um, uh, and that, that's Formula E. It's a weird circuit. It's a weird thing because, like... It's spread out quite broad. We're talking 15th of December till 14th of July. So there's a lot to cover for 13 races or 12 race weekends, I guess. So it kind of creeps up on you. We'll, we'll keep you updated on the Formula E races that are coming. But um, it's it's good, especially now, Rob, because, you know, we've... When is F1 back? Mid-March. So we have like one, two, three, four, five, maybe six races in FE before we, we head back to the Such the, a sharp break. Stuff. Yeah, we it's do, crazy. We should do a mid-season catch-up on, uh, on, on Formula E. But where is the best place to watch it? Because I think the other issue I had was um, it was like, find a time when Fox Sports was not showing infomercials <laughs> at 2 in the morning. And maybe there'd be an F, uh, a Formula E race. Uh, and I am curious whether or not uh, they've made that maybe a little more accessible these days. The way I ended up watching it was we had a wonderful email um, from somebody about the fact that the uh, F Formula E YouTube channel just straight up started uploading the full races again because they did have highlights, but they they uploaded the full races after the fact. So I've watched all of last season on demand a couple of days later. Uh, Drew, do you have any idea what the story is when it comes to the live stuff? Uh, I, I don't know, and I think it, <laughs> it, whatever it was, I think it might be changing because I think some rights have changed, uh, okay. particularly in the UK. I think the BBC might be airing some digitally. Okay. 
So I, I don't really know how the digital uh, BBC, angle of the, BBC works. It's but, it's uh, called iPlayer, and it's basically available to anyone who has. In I'm not sure if you have it. Or you don't have it here in the UK and in Ireland, lots of European countries. You have something called a TV license, where you you pay uh, just for the rights to basically take the feed. You also need it if you take the internet because of these digital services. Um, so the iPlayer is available to anyone with a TV license, which is basically every citizen. Uh, but it's a, it's an on-demand free service that has everything that BBC has, and they also broadcast lots of sports on it like uh formerly one you, you would have been on it before but like um the olympics for instance that's the olympics the way to watch the olympics is on bbc iplayer because they had every single event live streamed so it's wow. the best iplayer is amazing so i'm guessing it's on that people have also been sending us uh a billy monger documentary um, oh really yeah it's like a 45 minute thing and it's on the bbc iplayer so i can't watch it <laughs> so oh did you uh, see him on the pit walk uh before the race no did they talk to him they did he was with um uh martin brundle walking around in fact is he trying to get like a like a formula three seat at the moment a gp3 seat i think he is racing. i saw a video of him doing a driver's test i think yeah Yeah. he was jumping out of the car right that was like a yeah uh, yeah i saw that video i think maybe he maybe he has the car but he's looking for sponsors i forget there was some sort of uh um thing there but fucking watch it watch what i want to know what i want to watch is the documentary about him in 10 years time because like yes. th- this kid is special like th- there's yeah. he's got he's got a spirit and a, and a and a race craft in him that i think is you know it's it's very easy to get like very you know emo- you know sentimental about these types of stories when bad things happen to bad people or good people but you can you can <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> i'm not gonna I'm just, that's the end of my podcasting career just <laughs> i just got called out billy the kid um but uh, I think uh, I, I genuinely think that he's like you know a pretty amazing talent. So it's going to be interesting to see you know how he does if you know now that he gets the big seat. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, watching stuff for free, as you mentioned, Formula E all the last season is on YouTube. Uh, I will put links to all of everything I'm about to mention in the show notes, of course. Awesome. Uh, also, the the 2018 seasons of IndyCar, NASCAR, and Super GT, starring Jensen Button. Uh, are also on YouTube. Um, and we have primer episodes of Alt F1 for NASCAR and Super GT if you want to learn about what is up with those, uh, which I will yeah. also link. Uh, personally, I will be watching... Uh, I do need to catch up on Formula E, um, uh, but I will be watching uh, the 2018 MotoGP season. That's kind of my go-to for uh, when, mm. I, when I'm feeling lonely uh, <laughs> without F1. <laughs> You can sign up for the archives for 2018 um, for 28 bucks, which I think lasts you until the 2019 season starts in March. Uh, and then it's 22 bucks a month after that if you want to watch uh, the 2019 season live. But for 28 bucks, you can get the whole 2018 MotoGP season. We also have a primer episode for that if you want to learn about it with uh, one Girk Erdermley, uh, who is <laughs> way more knowledgeable about motorcycles than us. It's pretty good. Um, uh, pretty good graphic designer as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I also love Australian supercars. I don't know if you guys have ever watched any of that, but um, you can also get the 2018 season with their own um, on-demand service for, I think, $43, uh, which I think is the normal yearly price for that. So maybe you'd get 2019 too. Uh, it might depend on when you sign up though. Um, hmm. But yeah, I like I like that. It's basically Australian supercars. Is They look like stock cars. They look like NASCAR cars, uh, but they go around circuits. Uh, yeah, and they bump into each other a lot. It's great. And they, and they all have fair dinkum written on the side of them. <laughs> uh, other stuff to watch. 
in the off season, movies. So we already yeah, mentioned just watch, just go watch some movies. Just you go know, watch movies. Go watch it. Read a book. Play some video games. I think. Uh, what's a good movie? You can, you can watch Watchmen. It's a good. That's a <laughs> the good Matrix. That's the first movie that came to mind for some reason. <laughs> uh, we talked about Rush a little bit at the top, um, which I think is probably the best dramatized F one movie I've ever seen. Although I've never yeah. seen Grand Prix uh, or Le Mans. Um, Senna it's the Days of Thunder. Really good. Of, uh, of, 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 yeah, Days of Thunder. That's a great one. <laughs> Uh, yes. Senna is a really good documentary. Uh, Truth in 24, uh, not really F1, but we've, we've covered that a lot. Was there a sequel? Was yeah, Truth se- in 24 2 is on YouTube in its entirety. Truth in 48. Um, <laughs> right. yeah, I'm trying to think on the other ones. There was the there was the race. We I know we, we talk about these every year, but there was that one, the one about the horror years. Remember that one? It was like a... Yeah, Grand Prix, the killer years. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting one. Um for all the wrong reasons, but it's 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 a good insight into that sort of era. It's kind of about yeah. safety and how safety developed. And yeah, yeah. The twenty four hour war isn't like the, bad. Twenty four hour war. What is that What's, one about? Uh, Ford and Ferrari. Okay. Uh, their their duel in endurance racing, uh, and that is um, God. That was directed and narrated by oh fuck, uh, Corolla. Uh, Corolla? Adam Carolla, um, yeah, Adam Carolla, um, and it's but it 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 does. I think it tells the story of the duel between the Ferrari and Ford uh, racing programs pretty well. It it really drives home the degree to which that was just an unfair fight. Uh, by hmm. the end, the the resources Ford was able to bring to bear. What years the, are we talking? Uh, gosh, this is like late sixties. I want to say. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so this is. Uh, for GT championships. Uh but yeah, so they 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 were just hellbent on winning uh Le Mans and it took them they they ended up winning like 3 years running uh once they once they finally sort of mastered it. But it was like a decade long uh this was their moonshot basically of like starting from nothing uh a a serious Ford racing program and the way they did that was they reached out to um, Carol Shelby, uh, who was, and th- this is uh, pro- probably the best part of the documentary, uh, who was basically, at that point, kind of a pirate outfit, just uh, custom fitting, uh, you know, consumer cars, and sort of hacking them together into being uh, like world class uh, race cars, and the Ford company basically cut a deal to bring him and his t- crew in-house and i think one of the sort of a lot of racing documentaries sort of have a sad subplot and one of them here is that a lot of the guys who sort of built that outfit kind of got pushed out as the outfit became more and more corporatized and more and more professionalized uh so what started as just a bunch of guys who knew how to like kit out and tool up a race car hmm. They kind of all get shown the door at a certain point when it dawns on them that, like, to make the, to make that next leap, you need engineers. Right. Hmm. There's so much stuff to watch that I've not watched yet as well. Was it? Did you mention Grand Prix Driver? That's the yeah. Amazon thing. Uh, yes. Weirdly enough, yeah, that's the uh, the sort of. Oh, I forgot about this thing. Um, so yeah, that's the McLaren. That's McLaren, right? So that was the weird, yeah. like, it, it ended up being like a four parter. Um, 
uh, voiced by Michael Douglas. And while we're on the sort of celebrity um, voice actor or narrator uh, hitting the apex, the MotoGP. Yes, Doc, that one's um, great. Especially if you're going to watch MotoGP in the offseason. That one's really good. Brad Pitt first. does the narration on that one. If you're going to watch any of these, though, my favorite one of the lot is TT3D, Closer to the Edge. Um, yes. I think now it's just called Closer to the Edge. Um, when it was originally shown, it was in 3D, which is the insane Isle of Man TT, Guy Martin um, documentary. That's it's the one f- people get like, it's like a deeply dangerous race, it's, right? Oh, the, the oh, Isle yeah. of Man TT is like, there's been like, the, the it's the highest death rate of any race in the world is like one a year or something. It's, it's, uh, that, you have, that, that is my favorite racing film ever, I think. I think it's better than Senna. I, I absolutely adore it. Um, it's super, super good. It's hard to find, but if it's it's one of the most beautifully shot. Some of the characters in like Guy Martin are amazing. Some of the stories and shit that happen to it are insane. And it is the craziest, like it's a race born out of literally the fact that there were no speed limits on the roads on the Isle of Man it's just like it's the craziest thing in the world um, and I used to work for a video production company in London with a bunch of, bunch of Manx people people from the Isle of Man you call them Manx um, Manx folks who were motor who were petrol heads as well who were into motorbikes so they were all about it so I think that's another reason I sort of I'm interested in it personally but it's a, it's a super amazing story but the other thing is speaking of Senna uh, James Gay Rees who was the guy who produced Senna is making a 10 part documentary on this season which is going live on Netflix um, right. Yes. In early in early 2019. So that so we're getting like the, I don't know. I forgot. I totally forgot about this. But that's like that's the, by the time we do another shift F1, this is probably going to be out there already. Uh. Yeah. I I, no I, I had heard like rumblings of that, but I, I I didn't know that it was it's coming out in 2019. That that'd be amazing. Yeah. It's a Netflix original, so they're funding it themselves. They're they're taking him, um, and it'll be available. I'm guessing to anyone who has a subscription. But, um. Yeah, it's uh, apparently it's about the whole season, and they had access to, you know, the 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 paddock and everywhere they could go, and that they're weaving the story about it. So, yeah, apparently it's going to come sometime early twenty nineteen. So that that's one to look forward to. Cool, good season to do it. Yeah, uh, as a, couple- there's a lot going on, a lot of interesting drivers, and a lot of a lot of drivers you'd like to. I'd love to see some more, you know, Alonso, yeah. Kimi in a Ferrari jacket. Should be good. Uh, a couple other ones we haven't mentioned yet. Williams uh, is a pretty decent one on Netflix. Um, there's one just called One. Oh yeah, which I I always I always conflate that and Grand Prix: The Killer Years. I don't I don't actually remember what One is about. I remember liking it. I think uh, there's it was one about. There's one yeah. There's one about IndyCar. I think that one might be the one about Jackie Stewart a lot. Uh, right. There's one on um, Amazon Prime called Yellow 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 Yellow, which is about IndyCar <laughs> safety. Right, okay. Uh, and then other non-F1 stuff. Um, Dust to Glory is a pretty good documentary about the Baja 1000. Oh, uh, cool. Which is made by the same people who did uh, the surfing documentary Step Into Liquid, which is also pretty good. <laughs> they just do they just do materials-based names. Yeah, right. <laughs> Liquid, dust, concrete. Uh, non-movie media, uh, the F1 podcast Beyond the Grid is pretty good. Hmm. Um, although <laughs> I think my one criticism of it is... A lot of the questions are like, you were once on the same continent as Ayrton Senna. What was that like? <laughs> uh, yeah. he, he has gotten away, I think, from a lot of that stuff. But <laughs> there's, I don't know. It's, it's good. It's, it, he gets a lot of good access because it's, you know, the, the official F1 podcast. Uh, speaking of that interview stuff, have you checked out um, uh, WTF1? 
No, not really. It, it's a it's a pretty strong uh, YouTube channel that started, I think, two years ago. Um, I'm not sure if they have a podcast. I'm, I don't think they... Maybe they do. I don't know. But they, they do a bunch of... Um, and I'm not sure if this is also like maybe an F1... I don't know who owns this because it seems to have a bit of money behind it. So it might just be an F1 thing. I don't know. Or it might just be I don't, a different... I don't think they're me- F1 affiliated. Okay, well, they do a bunch of, like, interesting videos. That's a good YouTube channel to, to check out some, like, okay. interviews and, and fun little bits and bobs. Uh, they did, like, a quiz with Kimi Raikkonen, I think I mentioned it a couple yeah, of weeks ago. Where, I saw that. Where they got him to, like, draw circuits based off of memory and stuff. Um, it's good stuff. I, I, I like what they do a lot, so you should... Uh, that's a, If you've not checked that one out, there's, like, a bunch of, like, evergreeny-type fun shit on their YouTube channel you should check out. Uh, Chain Bear F1 is also another good YouTube channel. Mm. He goes more uh, technical, but uh, describes stuff in, in, in really easy to understand ways. Um, yeah, any anything else, Rob, you can think of? No, not really. I've, I, I've got the Jackie Stewart autobiography sitting on my bookshelf uh, that I mean to mean <laughs> tuck into. Uh, though, you can always read the ghostwritten one uh, about the 1971 season uh, that I think he wrote with uh, maybe Paul Mancuso is the guy's name. Uh, I believe its name was Vroom. <laughs> Jeez. Great. Uh, would you recommend it? I actually would. Um, oh. Because, like, despite so the names they 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 chose for these books, like Mancuso wrote a, wrote a series of, of books about racing. One was called like Faster. One was called Vroom. Uh, and I think there was a third with a ridiculous title as well. Uh, maybe Meow. Uh, but <laughs> the the interesting no, thing about it is that that book specifically is about the year that Jochen Rindt uh, won the championship uh, posthumously, hmm. and. It's a. I think Stewart's kind of disavowed it a little bit. I don't think he loved doing the. Uh, I don't think he loved working with Mancuso. Um, I'm not sure that he. He may have felt it was a bit sensationalized. But there's some good details about like. It's interesting revisiting it now because. It is written at a point where the future of F1 is not yet known, and so it is weird to see like a long passage talking about like, Bernie Ecclestone being one of the few good owners uh, right. in F1. The Jackie Stewart is like, look, most owners do not give a shit about their drivers. Uh, but when, you know, when one of his guys is laid up in the hospital, like Bernie will sit there in the ICU, uh, you know, with the guy's family. And he's like, no other owner does that. Mm. Bernie's the only one. And it's just weird seeing these guys, this sort of snapshot before they turn into these kind of like global brand ambassadors or executives for F1 uh, when they're basically just guys trying to make a living in what at the time is kind of a slightly roguish and deeply dangerous uh, motorsport. Hmm. I've also heard the book um, The Mechanic's Tale by Steve Matchett, hmm. who used to it's do uh, uh, NBC commentary. Um, yep. Is good. Yeah, you like that too? Okay. Yeah, I, that one's good. And I think he wrote one called The Chariot Makers, uh, which is a little <laughs> out of date at this point uh because uh, yeah, fucking chariots man that's like 2000 years old because <laughs> uh, he's writing about f1 design and development before the hybrid era and right. so i think like a lot of that stuff gets thrown out but it's a it's a good look at how the uh, sport evolved cool uh well you can hit us up on twitter you can follow at shift to one pod shift f1 podcast for uh show updates though there won't be much of those in the off season um uh, but i will probably be retweeting uh you know fun f1 stuff uh and or news 
that uh, that happens. Um, I am at Drew Scanlon. Danny? I'm at Danny O'Dwyer. And Rob? At Rob Zachney. Uh, shout out this week to, uh, I'm going to go with Kidman, uh, who sent Kidman. Uh, Rob Zachney and Danny O'Dwyer and I a picture of uh, the official Robert Kubica energy drink, uh, which yes. I don't think I had ever actually seen before. It's nice uh, red, white, and blue. It's kind of Toro Rosso colors. Yeah, it doesn't really have his name on it or, anything, or his face or anything. It yeah, has it his just name. Says Kubica somewhere. team. Yeah. He also replied with a picture of Mike Tyson's black, which definitely has Mike Tyson on the can, let me tell you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mike Tyson's energy drink. With the uh, tattoo. With the towel. Man, it's so good. Um, yes, and also uh, thanks to uh, Erica, a.k.a. at Belsas, for uh, sending us that Will Buxton pun video, which I will link again. <laughs> uh, oh, thanks to everybody. And thanks to, sorry, just thanks to literally everybody who sent me messages making sure I saw Kubica got signed to Williams. <laughs> uh, it was it was such a happy day because like basically like rolling from like 5 a.m. that morning till like the next morning, it was just a cavalcade of people being like, hey, uh, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, hey, Rob, great news. Uh, big update for Kubica watch. Uh, and it was, it was just fun seeing how many people are all in on Robert Kubica's comeback. Yeah, I take it back. I'm I'm shouting for Robert Kubica. I don't usually shout for a driver. Next year, I'm shouting for Robert Kubica to win the <laughs> <you> championship. <laughs> uh, thank you to everybody who wrote in and said, hey, around the internet uh, and around the world, we don't have any racing. And this oh is probably something weird. Um, but just uh, look forward to Formula E, I guess, on December 15th. Yeah. Uh, as always, you can find our show notes on f1.cool where we, were ha- where we will have links to all of that uh, stuff we mentioned about watching and listening uh, in the offseason. Uh, until next time, I'm Drew Scanlon. That is Danny O'Dwyer and Rob Zachney. If you'd like to support Danny and I, we are both on Patreon. Uh, Danny at patreon.com slash noclip. Me at patreon.com slash clothmap. You can find Rob at his day job at waypoint.advice.com. Uh, anything else, Danny? No. Look, thank you for, for, I think it's been an amazingly fun season as ever. Um, and I think the the most fun part of the whole season for, for us and also for our listeners was picking up our latest driver, Rob Zachney. <laughs> Indeed, I totally agree. Uh, Rob, anything else from you? Uh, yeah, it has been a delight, uh, you know, finally getting to do this podcast. I always, I was so envious uh, years ago when I first started listening to it. Uh, it's been great uh, getting to know you guys and getting to talk about F1 ad nauseum uh, every other week, uh, which is something I badly needed in my life. Uh, and next year, I think we all need to get into some GT racing. Okay. Ooh, for good right. things about uh, Blanc Pain uh, GT, <laughs> Blanc Pain. All right, looking forward to it. Uh, have a great ra- mm. <clears throat> Take two. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next time. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>